This is Conducting Business, WQXR's show about the classical music industry. I'm Naomi Lewin. The BPO goes DIY. On May 23rd, the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra is launching an in-house label, starting with concert recordings of the complete Schumann symphonies, conducted by Simon Rattle. Meanwhile, Daniel Berenboim is getting his own recording label, a digital-only venture called Peral Music, starting with Berenboim's third Bruckner Symphony cycle. The artist-led phenomenon has had mixed results since it took hold in the orchestra world over a decade ago. So what can music fans expect from these new entries? For some insight, in the studio I have Anastasia Tsulkas, who covers classical music for NPR Music. On the phone, we have Mark Galehood, who manages CSO ReSound, the Chicago Symphony's house record label, and Matt Whittier, the Director of Marketing and Label Relations at Naxos. Anastasia, the Berlin Philharmonic is the latest example of a major label orchestra now going the do-it-yourself route. What is behind this trend? Well, latest... Only for a nanosecond, because I think right afterwards, the Seattle Symphony announced that, or right about the same time, they announced that they were going to also strike out on their own. I think it's a very intriguing proposition. You know, one of the things that the intertubes promised us all was sort of a level playing field. And I think orchestras have come to the point, they say, well, do we need a middleman of a traditional label, whether it's a big, quote unquote, major or an independent? Do we need that? Um, What can they do for us that we can't do for ourselves? And I'm sure that by equal measure, these days, when people are looking very, very closely at each line in their budget, they're saying, why do we need to put this to somebody else? Why do we have to put aside any expenses for a label or or distributor or anything else? Um, and shouldn't we retain all of the income we can from what we produce? So it's a really intriguing prospect. Uh, I, I leave it to other people to tell me actually, uh, how much it's actually benefited them, either in terms of prominence or, frankly, in terms of their bottom lines. Matt, you are with a recording label, and as Anastasia just mentioned, the Seattle Symphony just launched its own recording label. In fact, most of the orchestras at the Carnegie Hall Spring for Music Festival going on right now this year have launched their own labels. What do you make of all of this, and especially Berlin's entry into the field? Well, I think that it's a really great thing. I think it's a wonderful thing for many reasons. Uh, One big factor uh, that benefits the orchestras is that they have complete autonomy, complete control over the repertoire that they're going to record and over what they're going to release. And it's a relatively new phenomenon, but, you know, we're now a few years into uh, some orchestras having very successful in-house labels. With the Berlin Philharmonic, they're really a cutting-edge organization in many ways. The Digital Concert Hall is a phenomenal thing that no one else is is doing, no one else is even attempting to do. And when they decided that they were going to roll out the Digital Concert Hall, they started Berlin Philharmonic Media, which is a completely separate company. It's very well-staffed, and it, it has a very strong mission. And they're now, I want to say, four years in, something like that. And they're very active in live streams to cinema within Germany, uh, and that's been very successful for them. And this first release looks absolutely gorgeous in in all regards. 
Mark, the Chicago Symphony has been at this since 2007. What was the main driving force behind releasing these recordings? Was it more revenue or was it more exposure? It would be, I'd have to say that it would be exposure. I think 2007 was a definite low point in the recording industry where from 2000 to about 2010, uh, recording revenues worldwide dropped 50%. So there was a real desire to recognize that people still wanted to hear the Chicago Symphony. They wanted to hear recordings with that, with this orchestra. But, you know, the recording world at that time was not a huge financial golden egg the way that it had been in the 80s and 90s with with revenues uh, falling off the cliff you know you had, we forget you know we think that the iTunes store has been around forever but it wasn't and you know file sharing was a huge problem that led to recording companies cutting back on making new classical recordings uh, when you, when they lost the revenues from pop acts it led to them to uh, cut back everywhere and classical and jazz, I think. Anastasia could probably talk to that, took that pretty hard. Well, yeah, for sure. And and I think something that has to come into play, too, is the question of if you have a closed in-house production, you don't have, well, you can bypass, and certainly a lot of the American orchestras have bypassed the traditional problems they've had with union regulations. Rights were, in several cases, renegotiated to allow for recordings for in-house. And not that I think it's really germane to this discussion, but I know for a fact Minnesota, for one, was a non-union house. Seattle was a non-union house. Their agreements were structured really differently. But I think it's a really interesting point, nonetheless, that I think Matt brought up a little bit ago, which was that you, you have complete autonomy, which obviously is a huge gain in certain respects. One thing, though, it can lend itself to is a slightly more myopic view of the universe of the of what the listeners want and need an occasion you know one thing that has come up since the berlin announcement is do we really need a schumann set and that's uh, i'm not sure or a third bruckner cycle or in the case of daniel barenboim a third bruckner cycle with barenboim uh, you know is the market is the audience really crying out need for those things. Well, I was going to ask, with recordings like these, which are sort of basically do-it-yourself, which used to be called vanity projects, when there is no big boss or somebody sitting there from a recording label saying, this works, this doesn't work, do this, don't do that, we don't need another set of fill-in-the-blank, has that been an issue with these kind of recordings? I think it definitely is. At the CSO, we take this very seriously, and we don't want to be just putting out yet another recording of famous Symphony X. Uh, and the way that we think about it is that, you know, anything that is released by a symphonic or orchestra today is guaranteed to have a whole lot of recordings already available. So what we try to do is say, okay, what do we as an orchestra do that's distinctive? What do we do with our music director, Ricardo Muti, that's exceptional, that's at a standard that a lot of other orchestras, it wouldn't necessarily be their forte the way that it is with us. And so that's one of the ways that we go through an exercise of uh, deciding what we what we want to release. You know, like I said, everything's been recorded, but what can what's a recording that we can put out there that is going to have some sort of a different experience for people? Matt, as somebody who works for a recording label, what do you have to say to this? I think that it is easy to say, well, 
you know, does the world need another recording of, oh, I don't know, Verdi Requiem? Well, maybe not. But if it wins a Grammy, that, that was pretty good, right? <laughs> That's so, true. That was fantastic, yeah. Ex- exactly. And it won two. You know? <laughs> exactly. It, it, it certainly did. It certainly did. And, you know, that, that was one that, uh, you know, you, you heard some grumblings around like, oh, boy, you know. Hey, they have the opportunity to record anything, anything in the world, and they're going to record the, you know, the Verdi Requiem, you know, again. Well, it, nothing is ever recorded again. It's always recorded differently. That's something that's very special about, you know, about classical music. And, you know, there is repertoire out there, and there are labels out there that are focused on not recording and re-recording core repertoire. Uh, you know, the Atlanta Symphony is a good, a good example. The Atlanta Symphony Orchestra has, uh, in the few releases that, that they have put out on their own label, they have um, coupled, in some cases, a piece of core repertoire with a premiere, a commissioned premiere by one of their composers in residence, and they've done that very consistently. One of the things that interests me um, is a conversation I had a few years ago with the president of one of the biggest symphonies in the United States when that organization launched its own imprint. Um, And I was asking him about the divide versus digital sales and versus CD sales. And something you said just triggered this in my mind. And I'm curious to know, do you see those things as splits between a domestic U.S. audience, sort of a hometown audience, and you still have to produce? And and this question is really for either of you. I was actually going to ask about sales, period. How many copies did you sell of that Verdi Requiem? You know, how are sales for some of these recordings? Well... That recording is, has done great for us. Uh, you know, I'm not going to put an exact number on it, but it uh, has vastly exceeded the hopes and goals that we had for it of selling maybe ten to 15,000 copies. We've managed to go beyond that, and I know that that sounds small in this day and age, but, uh, you know... And where the question now is where you sell them, because... Here right. in New York, we have no more record stores <laughs> left. Well, that, that's to my to my point. So the, the president of this, of this symphony said, well, you know, we really do digital for an American audience, and we still manufacture plastic and metal for, for when we go on tour. And he was Because people want to walk away from the concert they holding want, something. Exa- they want, and especially, he said, with, in, in this case, East Asian tours, that those audience members would like to walk away with a tangible good as a memento of a concert. And we can talk at great length, I think, about how the recording industry has sort of flipped and th- and recordings, in many cases, become a memento of a live performance experience rather than an experience in and of themselves. But I, that's one of the things I'm really curious about um, from my vantage point as a journalist is, is that true? Is Is that... Is that a divide that you two are or aren't seeing? What's I think it's absolutely true. You know, the, the opportunity in selling recordings, physical recordings at, at venues is uh, something that I think is not you know, fully tapped. It is the moment when an audience is excited. They're very excited. They've just experienced something and they want to take something home with them. And it is valuable. You know, I suppose, you know, you could say that it is the T-shirt of the classical genre, 
you know, the concert to tea. But in many ways, you know, we as a classical music industry are just behind the pop industry in that regard. Where they've always carried their CDs with them. Yeah, and CDs and everything else. I mean, you know, concert sales are a portion. I mean, concert ticket sales are a, a portion of the revenue, but it really comes down to merch, merch sales, you know. And that's what recordings are in, in many cases. And it's very, very possible and happens frequently that we can chart a record with the sales from one concert or one weekend of concerts. Well, that was true. You know, to your point, Naomi, about Tower Records at Lincoln Center being gone, uh, another label head and distributor head once said to me back in the day when Tower Records still, was still there, that that one location at 65th and Broadway, 66th and Broadway, uh, accounted for about half of his sales every year. And it was, to Matt's point, it was a huge spike. People coming out of concerts. People come out of concerts and they walk across the street and they pick up what they just heard and a whole slew of other things too and walk away very happy. And so how do you recreate that experience in a, without having that retail space? And I think what you're saying about venue sales is, is absolutely on point, Matt. Mark, if I can ask you, we counted about 14 CDs on the Chicago Symphony website. That would be about two a year since you started doing this. What sort of calculation goes into this? I mean, if you're not doing enough of them or doing them regularly enough, do you risk losing a certain traction? Sure. So we view uh, CSO Resound as a part of our mix of what we offer with media. So we have our record label, we have our radio broadcast series, which is on weekly, and we have other special projects such as the Verdi Requiem live stream that we did last fall. So we say, okay, what would we like to do? Traction in the marketplace is obviously a big part of it. Uh, The way that we do that is we try to have a release that comes out in the fall leading into the big holiday uh, CD gift-giving season. Um, Last fall, it was um, Verdi's Otello, conducted by Ricardo Muti. A a few years before that, we had a recording with our brass section, which uh, is world famous. And again, that's an example of projects that are unique to the CSO and that are part of our identity at this point in time. Well, I mean, it, one of the interesting things to me today, actually, was I, in advance of our conversation, I took a very quick gander at the iTunes top sellers in classical and admits the things that have been there for years of the endless compilations of, you know, 50 most essential ever in the universe for all time and eternity. I saw number four was the new Ricardo Muti conducts Mason Bates and Anna Klein recording. Yes. And I know it's a very recent release, but uh, did you do any particular push around that? We really pushed to have uh, some popular iTunes placement for it. So that was the album was on sale for a week before its official release date on Tuesday. And we also uh, announced it Monday night at a concert that we had here uh, on our Music Now series, which is our chamber contemporary music uh, set of concerts that Mason Bates and Anna Klein host. And so at that, at that concert, you know, when we had a really captive audience for contemporary classical music, we said, you know, we have this album coming out. It's up here. Go to this site, et cetera, et cetera. We printed up buttons with the album's cover art on it and gave those away at the concert. Uh, so those were some of the big promotional things that we did for it. But 
for a digital only release like this one is where there isn't an accompanying CD you know you really need to focus on having iTunes and uh, other digital retailers uh, giving some attention to the album well and that I think is part of the crux the real crux of it is you have to have people within the organization who know marketing and promotion and not to lavish praise on you mark but you I've known you since you were a journalist and running classical at Time Out Chicago and so you came into this with a very particular set of skills and knowing how to talk to very particular audiences and the in-house labels have really flourished are the ones I think that have that sort of expertise and know how to talk to and engage with even more importantly engage with their audiences and the ones I think they've had a very hard time finding their footing are the ones who don't take as active a role and don't think about marketing and presentation and talking to iTunes and all the rest and they sort of put things out there in the universe and assume that the audience will come to it and if you make it they will come well, that that's very kind of you, and I I appreciate you saying that. But I'd be absolutely lying if I said that I thought of these things. And uh, I think one of the things that I am good at is finding out who is good at album promotion or something like that. And which is why we have a digital distributor in Naxos, and they do that for us. And the other thing is that the musicians in the orchestra and the composers on the album a lot of times they don't want to have something just put out there with no marketing push with no press attention given to it so it's not simply that i want to do it or that management really wants the thing to sell well it's that the artists want it to sell well too and so they're going to be you know pushing us to do our best work in promoting their work this is a this is a quantum shift i think in the way the musicians feel about a recording and what their job is in that recording process. Because traditionally, you know, as soon as the recording session is over, the horns go back in the box and the musician's job is done. And it doesn't work that way anymore. If a recording is going to be successful, every artist, everyone involved in the project has to have a personal investment in it and a, and a personal desire for it to succeed. The thing that I would say is that an orchestra with its own record label in this day and age is creating memories. That's what it's in the business to do, so that there is a sonic document out there of what the Chicago Symphony Orchestra sounded like with Ricardo Muti or Bernard Heitink or Pierre Boulez in this day and age. And uh, an orchestra like the CSO, you know, we have these recordings by Fritz Reiner and Sir George Schulte that are still loved by fans of classical music and music students discover them and continue to uh, enjoy listening to those and learning from them. And that's what I would like to see this label do is, you know, 50 years from now, if someone says, wow, you know what, Ricardo Muti, I, I read about him, I heard about him, what, what, was, what was that connection like that he had with the Chicago Symphony? They're going to have a series of recordings out there with music by Verdi, with music by Mason Bates and Anna Klein that they that they'll be able to listen to and to hear. And so, it's not just the here and now of this new record just came out this week and that's fantastic and it's exciting and uh, you know we've got buttons for it. But that album is going to be around on Spotify or 
However, we're listening to music in 100 years, 50 years. It's gratifying for an orchestra to be able to say, you know, we are now in control of this. That's a really special thing. Thank you all very, very much. Thanks. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Today's guests were Anastasia Tsoulkas, who covers classical music for NPR Music. On the phone, Mark Galehood, manager of CSO Resound, the Chicago Symphony's in-house recording label, and Matt Whittier, director of marketing and label relations at Naxos. Brian Wise is our producer. You can now subscribe to Conducting Business on iTunes and on Stitcher.com. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening.